you're warned. What do you what you're talking on what tonight? The greatest commandment. Good. Father, we thank you for Dan. We thank you that you have schooled him in the Holy Spirit. And you have more good and wonderful things to draw him into. And you are drawing him. And he is saying yes. I thank you for the yes on his heart and on his lips. He's saying yes to what you want to do. Even when it stretches, even when it challenges him, he is going. Thank you for the fruit in his life. We pray for fruit tonight as he shares with us. And we pray for good listening ears on the part of those who are here tonight. Lord, I pray, we believe that it can transform us. It can change the way we think and the way we live. That is our hope tonight. We bless you for this evening. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Transformative. That's what I want. That would be great. Um, a, a big part of this, what I want to share tonight, has been very transformative for me um, to an extent where I find it pretty hard to articulate or at least to feel confident that I can communicate it in a way that you can grasp at least what I mean, whether you agree or not, but that you can grasp what I mean within this, this time that, that I have. Yesterday I, I was typing out and I was using some, some things I'd written before and I was trying to figure out, okay, how can I communicate this well and efficiently and effectively um, tonight? And I got done working on it last night, and I, it just didn't, wasn't fitting. I was just like, this isn't, I was like, this is, we're going to be here for three hours. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I can't, I can't do this. So today after work, I sat down again, and I ended up just taking all the scripture I wanted to talk about, and I put those in a line, and then I said, okay, that'll work. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to go off. I have the rest of kind of different things too, but... Um, we're just going to share and talk together. Sound good? And maybe I'll have some questions for you. Right, perfect. Bedtime. Um, if you have a Bible, Matthew twenty-two thirty-four. This one looks cool. The Rock Bible. The Bible for making right choices. <laughs> Dustin needs that one. So again, it's Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. All right. But when the Pharisees, which were the religious elite of that day of Judaism, heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, also um, the religious elite, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, asked Jesus a question. Teacher, that's how you put pressure on someone when you ask them a question. Teacher, now give me the right answer, right? Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, this is great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So here we have these people, the religious elite, some of his disciples, probably a bunch of other people here, and they ask what's the greatest commandment of the law. Now the law um, is talking about the Ten Commandments, um, the, the law that it was established um, through, through the Old Testament um, for, the, for the Jewish people. And, and Jesus answered and gave them these two, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Now when you hear that, okay, when you hear, okay, there's all these different laws, all these different commands of God that says you should, you, you should do this, you shall not do this. When you hear this, 
Does it make you feel any different? Does it make you think any different? How do you feel if, if God comes to you and says, this is my greatest command to you? Love me with everything you have. What does that feel like? Does anyone have any reflections on that? It's a challenge. It's a challenge. Feel stupid. Feel stupid. <laughs> it's overwhelming. overwhelming. Yeah. And I, I think that's the right response. I think that oftentimes we have the response where we take that and we say, oh, great, that's easy. That's the Christian way. That's all we need to do. Oh, we just got to love God with everything. No, this is hard. This is a hard, this is the law. It's still the law, okay? Jesus isn't saying, oh, this is going to be the easiest thing for you. He's taking what these religious elite know that they should do for God, and in order to, you know, appease him and uh, minister to him um, and whatever, and he's saying, this is what you think you should be doing, but this is what you should be doing. He says, you think that you can carry out all these external acts of sacrifice and penance and repentance. Well, tell you what, I'm going to make it a heart issue. This is what the, the, the law is, where it's truly fulfilled is at the very core and the very center of your being. If you can love me, with everything that you have. Okay, at that point, what people should do and what we should do is throw our hands up in disgust and say, yeah, right. Yeah, right. I can't. I can't. There's not one iota of my being that has the capacity to love God with everything that I have and on my own. And, um, and that's challenging. Jesus does this in a couple other places. He does it on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, where he takes the law and then he actually transcends people's understanding of what he's going after. He does it with uh, murder and he does it with adultery. Um, and, he, and he comes and he, and he makes it a heart issue on both accounts. He says, you think um, it's you know, against the, the law of God, against the commands to commit adultery, which is true. He said, but even if you look lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Wow, that's hard. That's the law on steroids, if I've ever heard it. And then he says the same thing with murder. He says, you know, you shouldn't murder. But I tell you, if you ever have anger towards someone, you've already committed murder in your heart. That is intense. Jesus is not holding back. He is he's bringing this down to a T, and he's making it about how people and how we function on the inside. And I would like to propose, and, and I want to talk about it today and go through different passages and just talk about real life, like how we function, how, how people function, how we function emotionally and intellectually. But I think that we still often relate to loving God in terms of this command and that sometimes it actually places us in bondage and, and makes and actually facilitates and increases our anxiety and our... Um, insecurity because we are approaching it as law rather than it being fulfilled in us through the gospel okay i think a lot of us feel a lot of pressure to fulfill this thing do you guys feel pressure to fulfill this law i have to love god with everything that i have and then we start asking questions well what does that mean what does that take what sort of external you know, thing do I need to do? You know, in worship, well, is raising my hand showing more love? Is singing louder showing more love? Is praying for, you know, two hours instead of one being more loving? And we start entering onto this hamster wheel of, of regulating our lives to try to produce something in us that is impossible to produce. It's impossible to produce because love is a fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23... It lists the fruit of the Spirit, and then in 23 it says, Against these things there is no law. Basically what that means is you cannot produce this on your own. You are incapable, and I am incapable, absolutely 100% incapable of loving God with everything you have. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to get people to admit here, is that every, they're, they're going along, especially the Pharisees and the Sadducees are going along, feeling that they have the capacity to do what God has called them to do. 
And so they feel self-righteous and proud that they're carrying out the statutes of God until Jesus makes it a heart issue, and he's almost demanding and almost trying to get them to a point of, of giving up, of throwing up their hands and saying, yeah, right, I can't. Because that I can't is something that Jesus can work with. That, that vulnerability and that humility is the very soil that God can plant something in there for it to actually produce. But if we're guarded and if all we're trying to throw out there are our own efforts to fulfill something that we believe God demands from us, we're never actually going to, to be in a safe place in our, in our own selves to actually have it implanted in us to be produced in a natural way. Does that make any sense? Okay. So, love, love is deep. It has to do with how we function on the inside. Um, it's, more, it's more than just an action. Now, love takes action, and it, and it does. Love does. That's a book I haven't read, but I want to, um, by Bob Goff. But, it, it, so it, there is activity involving love, but love is, is also has being. Because God does more than love as an action, doesn't he? It says in 1 John that God is love. It says that there's something about his, his, his essence, his very being, that is love. So love is something that um, is, is deep. It's something that we can't produce on our own. It's not something that we can manifest on our own. And yet, at the same time, it's still just in this Matthew 22 passage, it says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Well, what does that mean? Well, really, if we think about it, in the, in the presence of love, all the laws will be genuinely, naturally fulfilled. The law, honor your father and mother. Well, if I have love, and if I love my father and mother, I will honor them, right? If I have love, it says do not covet, right, your neighbor's stuff. Well, if I have love for my neighbor, and we're going we're gonna to look through 1 Corinthians 13 um, a little bit here. It says that love does not envy. So, so in the same way, if I have love, then I will not covet. And so it fulfills all the laws. If I have the capacity, again, that's the big if, if I have the capacity to love God with everything I have and my neighbor as myself, then all the other laws fall into place in a really natural, self-fulfilling way because they overflow from what love is in me. Does that make any sense? We're going we're gonna to peel that away a little bit more as we go. I think one of the, the hardest things um, when it comes to love, and hopefully by the time we're done, we'll, have a, uh, we'll feel a little more free, and we'll feel um, hopeful, and that we'll actually even feel God's love and feel love in us for each other and for God. Okay? Because I do think that this... This law thing that sometimes we have ingrained in our minds regarding law can actually uh, prevent us from, from being whole ourselves, from experiencing the fullness that God wants us to, and to have the full, genuine capacity um, to, to live um, in the freedom that God has for us. And one of the reasons why that's hard is because we recognize that as Christians, we should be loving, right? Because we, we read verses like Jesus says in John thirteen thirty five, says they will know that you are my disciples because of the way you love one another, right? Or we read these really scary passages in First John that says whoever does not love doesn't know God because God is love, right? So all of a sudden we're like, oh man, well I know God, so I better love, right? And I better put on my kind, you know, pants on the day and treat everyone really nice you know regardless of what's going on in here okay and and i think that there is a place for for treating people um well even if we're not necessarily feeling like it um but but i but sometimes this prevents it from actually birthing in us something real and genuine and deep and and what this does is we see this this dichotomy we say okay well i should be loving god with everything that i have and I should be loving my neighbor as myself. So then, what can I do to make that happen? Right? What can I do? And 
and we end up, like I said, on that, on that hamster wheel um, of trying to produce something in us that there's no law for. That's not something that we can self-assess and produce on our own. And so we end up being in a perpetual place of insecurity, inadequacy, and religious striving, trying to produce something in us that we just can't. And we will continually realize our lack and not really know what to do about it except to try harder. Okay? 1 Corinthians 13, you can turn there. This is a fascinating passage about highlighting, targeting all of our little performances, all of our little um, anxieties um, about, you know, pleasing God, about being a good Christian or what have you. It says, oh, I just lost my place. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. That's some pretty crazy spiritual mojo right there, if you can speak in the tongue of angels. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, all of them, and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. You could create the biggest platform of ministry you can imagine. You could heal millions of people, have such faith that it moves mountains, be able to to fathom, contemplate, and articulate every mystery of God and have nothing. Wow, that's crazy. If I give all I possess to the poor... And give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love. I gain nothing. You can submit yourself to the rigors of serving God to the extent where you become a martyr, where you're killed for your faith. Yet, if you don't have love, it's worthless. That is crazy. That is just crazy. And, and I am very guilty of wanting a lot of these things, which it's not bad to want to see miracles. It's not bad to want to have faith. It's not bad to want to, those are really wonderful, good quality things. But sometimes I do want them in a place of self-gain rather than, or in some weird um, idiosyncratic way that I think that I'm giving something to God. And but I but I la- I'm actually lacking the very essence that makes those things powerful and real coming from me, which is love. Um, so, who knows where love comes from? God is love, and we love because. He first loved us. Now, is that a command? So, guys, God loves you, so love him. Come on. Love God. Are you guys going to have a kid someday, and you're going to come to that kid and say, the only thing I want from you is to love me? Is it going to produce love? No. What is love? We're going to look at that in a second. But you're not going to be able to come to your child with this weird demand and say, love me. And the response will not be love. They will probably feel very insecure. And they will probably try to show you a whole lot of things that look like love. But because of that insecurity, because from the get-go they start with lack, they start with an internal feeling of, I am not good enough, I am not able, then they will forever be trying to produce something that cannot be produced. So how is love produced in this child? How how is this child made to to have the capacity to love both the parent and and people around them? If they know they're loved. So now as a parent, I love on that kid. I just love them. I make them secure, right? So they know that, that love is not 
conditional. I, 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 I help them realize that they have a safe place with me. I help them realize that I'm for them. Okay? Now, when they believe that, love is produced. Because we do the same thing in our minds with belief. Right? We say, j- just, just in the same way, we say, um, we love because he first loved us. So we say, well, I know that God loves me, so then I should. Backwards. Because then we're still going to be relying on our self-effort to try to motivate and put out an image of ourselves that looks like love to us in our best efforts, in the best way that we possibly can. No, that's not what this is saying. This is saying that in the place where I actually realize the safe, secure, loving position that I have with my father, the thing that is going to be naturally produced in me will be love. Does that make sense? That, that's what that's saying. That's all that's saying is we love because he first loved us. It's not a command telling us that God loves you, therefore you better do it. It's saying, no, the, the only reason why we have the capacity to love, but the, but the Apostle Paul says he's compelled by love. He had this personal recognition this personal realization, not just an intellectual knowledge, but this epignosco, as it talks about um, in, in the Greek, where this experiential knowing from firsthand personal experience. Yeah? When I believe that I am uh, loved, that cultivates something in me. Okay? It, 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 it does something to me internally in terms of the way that I function. Just like, just like this, for instance, if I believe that I'm forgiven, then I will not have any shame. That's just a true statement. Okay? If I believe that I'm forgiven, then I will not have any shame. Well, what does it mean if I still have shame? Raise your hand if you still have shame. Okay? This is a sensitive issue, and I'm going to... I want to bring it down to why this is such a sensitive issue. But if I believe that I'm forgiven, I won't have shame. Therefore, if I have shame, I don't believe I'm forgiven. Okay? That's just true. If I, if I have um, insecurity in myself in terms of, of not feeling um, like I am adequate or, or feeling like God is still demanding something out of me, then I just don't really believe he loves me. And that's okay. We, but we put a whole lot of pressure on ourselves because we feel like the confidence that, 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 that our confidence in terms of our place with God has to do with how strong we measure our own faith to be. And so, so we say, well, yes, I believe I'm forgiven. But then we separate, I believe I'm forgiven from my personal internal experience of it. Okay, And now there is a, a reality where we can acknowledge the truth and we can recognize the fact that, yes, okay, I know that I'm forgiven, but I'm not fully grasping it. Okay, I'm not fully grasping it. And I think that it's only when we come to that place, both with faith, with love, is that we open ourselves up where it can actually start growing in us to be real and be genuine and where we stop putting on this masquerade of pretense and religious regulation trying to produce something that's supposed to be produced in us through a natural connection of God loving and, and, and proving himself to us that it's him that's cultivating this place in us. And we can run from it and we can hide from it. We can put up these blocks by putting on a pretense and by, by stri- striving and straining to, to do it ourselves. But he, he wants us to open up and say, okay, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Right. So so whether whether it's whether it's, you know, faith and love, uh, forgiveness, even salvation. And, and this is something I've in the last few years, I, I've said it. And at different times, like even my parents kind of get annoyed by it. But I, but I'll say and so I want to explain it before you get shocked by me saying it. But I'll say, like, I don't really believe I'm saved. And I was like, oh, oh, my goodness. And I was like, no, wait, listen to me. It's like, if I actually believed that I was destined for eternity, I would not care about the things I care about. 
right? Because there's a reality where I don't believe it. There is a reality where I just do not believe that I am going to live forever and that the thing, things that God says are important are important because I still think that things that aren't important are important. Whether it's my ego or my comfortability you know, or my, my, my well-being and I, and I care about these different things, these periphery things, or maybe even these selfish things, and then, I, and then I try really, really, really hard to make sure that my confidence is set in the fact that I believe that I'm saved. But my eyes for, for finding that confirmation and finding that assurance are on myself, and they're measuring my own ability to have that conviction and that knowledge of the truth. When really, my assurance and my, and my confidence should be in the person of Jesus, not in my own self-regulated meter of how much I trust that. My, f- my trust is in the faithfulness of Jesus. My trust is in the fact that he did a good job. My faith is in, is in his assurance and his ability, his love, his will, and his purpose. And that's a whole different thing, and I don't think it's just semantics. I think that there's something true here and something real here that changes the way that we function internally okay that my confidence is is in jesus so i can actually admit a little uncertainty i can admit a little doubt because my confidence isn't on my capacity to grasp the truth my confidence is in the fact that the truth has grasped me my confidence isn't that um i believe you know that that i believe this Therefore, you know, I'm confident. My confidence is, no, I believe that Jesus is real and he did what he said he did. Okay? And that gives us the capacity then to, to move and relate with God and with other people in free ways so this can work. And the things that get in the way is that insecurity, is that fear, is that performance-driven orientation. Look at this. First um, John four sixteen, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Here it is again: God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Here it is. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Okay? So my existence of fear, is anyone ever afraid? Is anyone ever afraid of God? Is everyone any afraid of God's response to your behavior? Ever uh, that 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 you're afraid of God's response to your thoughts, or the position of your heart? Okay, no, listen. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. So if I'm if I'm feeling lacking, if I'm feeling insecure, if I'm feeling I'm not so I should be, what am I going to do? I'm going to try to be, right? But that's not the answer here. The love is love casts out all fear. Not my, not my striving and straining to, to become the, the perfect religious you know, Christian person doing the right things. No, it says love casts it out. It's that father working and being with that kid who's going through different insecurities and he's just lavishing them, being there for them, proving himself to that kid over and over and over again until there's not a, fear, no, not a lick of fear left in that kid. So that fear knows that the father's for him. So that kid knows that the father wants to, to, to be with him. So that kid knows that he, and all of a sudden, what's produced out of that kid? Love. Out, out of that kid, all of a sudden, there's this security in themselves where they know their position as an individual in relation to their father. So all of a sudden, not only do they love their father, but they all of a sudden have the capacity to love the people around them. Because if I'm fearful, if I'm insecure, then I'm always going to use people. I'm always going to utilize communication and my relationships for selfish gain on some level. Okay, not completely. 
I, I do think that there's some gray area here. Um, but I want to I paint this hard line to try to break through some, some of the way that we normally think about this. Okay? So all of a sudden, this child is free. This child knows they're loved, know that their, their dad is for them. When they mess up, you know, when they're, when they're doing things right, they have this confidence, this assurance, and that naturally produces something in them called freedom in their thought life, in their emotions, in their activity with other people. And all of a sudden, they have the capacity to love. That's how love is produced. That's it. That's how love is produced. And that's, and that's the love that Scripture talks about and, 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 and the love of a Christian. Because as a Christian, we know what? That God is love. But we get ourselves in problems, remember? Because we feel like since we have to be this certain way, and since I know that God loves, but I don't really feel loving at all, I'm going to pretend. And I'm going to fake it. Nope, wrong. Okay? Our confidence is in Christ. We have to, we have to leave room here for, for it to be naturally produced in us. Otherwise, we're always going to be hiding and, and insecure, and it's never actually going to, to be resolved in us. Okay? So it is true that they will know they are my disciples because of the way they love one another. That is true. It's also true that if you hate your brother, the love of the Father is not in you. How many of you have hated someone recently? Okay, but listen, that's scary because now if we're saying that, we're saying the love of the Father is not in us. And if we're saying the love of the Father is not in us, then are we saved? Right? And it goes down that line. But we're, be- we're doing this thing again where we're checking internally, we're becoming introspective, gauging our our confidence in our own psychosomatic concept of faith. My faith is in Jesus. My faith is in Jesus' faithfulness. My faith is in, in Jesus' goodness. It, and Paul talks about it. He says, he says, I want you to know the heights and the depths of what? The love of God. And then he says, he's like, I'm convinced that neither life nor death nor angels, nor demons, nor powers, nor principalities, nor any, I, I don't even know, any, any of the ages to come, anything created or in heaven, anything can separate you from what? The love of God. And he is, he is so wrapped up in this. He's that child who has had this knowledge, this revelation, this experiential firsthand, and he's trying to to, to prove it to other people. And he's interacting with people in love and showing them and trying to, to also create in them that, their own capacity to actually have that produced. Does that make sense? So that's his desire for people, is that they come to know it, that they come to experience it, that they come to, to realize that it's for you and it's for me to such an extent that it changes. Okay? I have no idea how much time we've been talking. Um, so turn to 1 Corinthians 13.4 and, and I just want to go over a couple of these just to, to give illustration for how this plays out how love actually plays out in terms of our humanity um, in terms of just how we function internally um, notice here that they're all love is right Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't say, if you love, you will be patient. It says that where love exists, patience is the fruit. Patience is the result of where love is. Okay? Love is patient. Well, what is patience? Long-suffering. It's the capacity. So if I love, um, if, I, if I have love for, for Dustin, and if I love him, I want... I want good things for him. Um, I want the best for him. And I'm benevolent. I'm, I'm, I'm kind-hearted towards him. And he does something that really bothers me. It's possible. My love for him will p- manifest in patience. Now, and just like Paul talks about and what he's going to talk about um, later on at the mentoring night, is that patience, I think, is actually the, the love that allows us to see the purpose and tension and conflict. And so because we love the person, we actually have the capacity to realize that the tension that I'm experiencing, if I 
walk towards that and start meeting Dustin, something awesome is going to be produced. Because the only reason why, you know, he's bothering me is because something exists that shouldn't, maybe, or isn't healthy, and that as we walk for it, we'll, we'll grow in our understanding, we'll grow in our hope, we'll grow in our trust for one another, we'll grow in our, in, in, in our, in our love for one another, in our joy. And so love manifests in patience. Love is kind. Kindness is just basically benevolence. I want good things. And not just good in terms of fluffy, like I want you to feel good all the time. You know, I want you to have every dream you could imagine. That might be a killer for most of us if we got everything we wanted. Um, but, but it's I want the ultimate best. I want wholeness. I want fulfillment in life to, to not be swayed and, and pushed to and fro by the whims um, of, of emotion or the opinions of other people, but to be whole and complete and knowing God. Love is kind. What are some other ones? I don't even remember. Love doesn't envy. Ooh, that's a good one. What is envy? It's saying, it's basically saying, you have something that I want and therefore I dislike you because I feel bad because I'm, well, I'm basically jealous of you. That's not love. That's polarized to love. But who's been envious in the last week? You know, I even think of the different ways that we can be jealous in here. You know, all the comparisons that we draw, you know, of, of how attractive we deem other people um, or how articulate or how friendly or how joyful or how talented. Um, and, and all of a sudden, we create this pattern in ourselves of comparing and contrasting and growing jealous. There's no love there. Because love says, wow, you're great. Wow, that's awesome. Wow, God, they're talented. Give them more. Right? That's what love says. But envy says the opposite. Um, and, and so it very much affects, it's, it's very much about internally how we function. Even being boastful and proud is about creating an image that I want you to perceive about me. Right? So I boast about certain things. I talk about myself in certain ways. Maybe I'll even be really humble and, and talk down on myself so that you, so it's for the purpose of changing your perception of me. And all I'm doing is I'm in this insecure place of, of trying to find some semblance of, of identity and safety and, and confidence in myself. It's that child um, who's really, really uncertain and, and, is, and is going about the world trying to find it. But the father says, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm there for you. And that's what he's doing for us. And, and I think that as we meditate on our lives... Um, you know, whether it's been in the, in the deepest moments of sin and despair or unbelief um, or, you know, in the, in the happiest, you know, most free, glorious moments of our lives, we can realize, like, God has always been proving himself, proving that he cares, proving that he's there. And that's where our confidence rests. Not in this, not in our own estimation of this, Okay? Our confidence rests on the fact that God is consistent, that God is true, that God is loving me. And as I, my eyes are opened up to see him, and I turn from here, where this is all freaky and scary, and I don't know what to do, and I try a lot of things that are really hard, and then I get you know fall flat on my face because I did really well for two weeks, and then I fell, and then I'm really worried now because I think that I'm not saved anymore, and I don't know what to do, and I feel, you know what I'm talking about? I never felt that. And instead I go like this. I start learning to do this. Okay? I start doing this right here. I start looking up. I start looking up and I start finding that my confidence is actually outside of myself. And my, and my faith is actually trusting in the person of Jesus rather than on my own effort, convictions, thought life, performance, even if it's spiritual performance. And as I do this, and I start realizing it more than intellectually. I can understand it intellectually, and that can motivate me to take steps, you know, to start doing this. As I see it, it's going to unravel in me that security. Fear is going to go away. Fear is going to be driven out. I'm not going to have to kick it out. It's going to go away because I'm going to have this conviction that God is for me, and he's not against me. I'm going to have this conviction that God loves me, the scriptures testify to it. 
So for God so loved the world. Okay? That doesn't mean I believe it. Right? Because if I believed it, then I'd be super free. And, um, but but as, I, as I look on that, as I fix my eyes on who? Jesus. Who is the, both the author. He started your faith. Who's the author and the finisher of your faith. Okay? That's, that's what we are as believers. We are, we're, we're this little kid. We're this little kid who's woken up and said, God loves. God loves me. And, 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 and we may not have it all figured out. We're still on the journey. But we have a deep confidence and a supernatural assurance. Because we've seen it in the person of Jesus, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And whether our lives go up and down, whether our emotions feel crazy, um, whether our circumstances um, are, are, are down in the dumps and things happen the way we don't want them to happen, we have one confidence, and it's not in ourselves, and it's not in the world, and it's not in our circumstances. It's in God. And we allow him to prove it. Over and over, we look to him, we rely on him, we depend on him. That's, what, that's a lot of what prayer is, that's a lot of what fellowship is, and we prove it to each other, because the more that I'm filled with the capacity to love, the more that I'm convinced in my experience and in my thought life that God is for me and that, that, that he loves me, the greater capacity I have to produce those same things. Abide in me and I abide in you, and you will produce much fruit. The fruit of the Spirit are not something I produce on my own. They're produced by the Spirit that is work within me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They come from a place of abiding, and as they do, now I begin to have the capacity to actually love the people around me and help prove that God loves them too. Because our minds and, and, and this world tells us that, that our security needs to be some, somehow in our performance that we need to look at ourselves and that we need to put on a show and we need to put on, put, on, put on a fake thing and we need to help each other and we need to help walk it out and we need to help create, create a safe place um, for, for our friends and for our family and, and, and we can do that by loving each other and that will be the greatest light to the world. Bigger than any evangelism program, bigger than any crusade, is that the love that we have for each other that is produced out of the, 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 the abiding place we have and the confidence we have in God's love for us that just produces us in us, allows us to love the people around us that creates that same atmosphere and that same connection and that same relationship. And then all we get to do is just celebrate it and walk it out and work it out because our confidence is there. And, and that's on the past. So, 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 so no longer are we insecure about our inclusion. No longer are we um, insecure about whether God loves us. No longer are we insecure about being Christian enough. Okay? Now what we get to do is we get to facilitate, learn, and grow, and un- come to understand the heights and the depths of God's love for each one of us. And that love is going to set us free. That love is going to produce that freedom. And as we come to know the truth, and the truth will set us free, as we come to experience it and see it, and experience God's reality as portrayed in Christ Jesus, then it's going to produce in us life and life abundantly. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have proven it time and time again. Father, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you just come and that you pour out um, your love into our hearts tonight. Father God, help us to turn our eyes from ourselves. Help us to turn our eyes from our, um, our silliness and our um, waffling back and forth, Father God, of our double-mindedness. Um, Lord, help us to, to, to take um, risky steps, Father God, of being vulnerable and being open, Father God, of letting those masks fall and that pretense fall. Lord, and help us to, to be open so that you can produce in us a genuine, real, and tangible security, and love. Father, all we want is you. All we want is to, to know that more and more. All we want to do is see your face. So just do that um, with all of us tonight, God.
pretty wonderful, isn't it? That's really wonderful. When you say that, how does it make you feel? Jesus loves me. Ha, ha. Oh, my. Jesus loves me. Mm. I, I used to think when I was your age that the way to deal with sin was to focus on it. And so I did. I focused on sin. I focused on not, not being a sinner. I focused on confessing a lot my sins. Now, it's right to confess your sins, not to focus on them, though. The less you focus on them, the better you're doing, probably. But the more you focus on Jesus, I know the better you're doing because you're, you're on the receiving end of his love. Do you know this one? Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you. again that it's the power of your love not the power of our love not the power of our conviction not the power of our commitment but the power of your love and tonight we embrace the love that you have for us we just take it in just take it in now take it in just pull it into your heart take the love of the father in just take it in now take it in let it heal you i am love I am loved. I'm that little boy. I'm that little girl. Insecure, needy, wondering how much people like me, 
wondering how I'm getting along, giving myself grades. But as I take in this love, something happens. Fear begins to get pushed out. I take it in. Breathe it in. Just breathe it in. Breathe in that love. Oh, it's so wonderful. God is love. He comes near. And his passionate love thaws out the coldness of my heart. And I'm combustible. It lights a fire in me. Something happens. Now, I didn't do it. It's not the holy fire of my heart. It comes from the altar of God, his passion. He's a passionate God. And he loves me. And so I receive that tonight. Take it, will you? Will you take it? Will you take it? Let it heal you. Let it heal you of your insecurities. Let it heal you of that depression, of that discouragement of that fear of being accepted by other people here. Thank you, God. Now, what we like to do is just pray for one another. So maybe the person sitting next to you, be good if you found somebody that you could say, hey, pray for me for this. Because sometimes I'm convinced and sometimes I'm not. You can be honest, can't you? I mean, you can be real honest. Dan really gave us permission tonight to say, you know, I, I don't feel that way. I don't feel like I'm a very good Christian. Okay. What's the answer to that? I think it's getting more love. It's taking in more love. So find somebody now that you can pray with, that will pray with you, and just take a moment, take a little time. If you want to come up front, there will be people up in front that will pray for you as well. But get a little prayer. Well, this will be fellowship, but for right now, it's prayer. So right now, prayer. Find somebody close to you. Go ahead. Right now, as I'm talking, find somebody. As I am talking, grab somebody. Say, hey, will you pray with me? You don't have to know them. There you go. There you go. Find somebody. 